Samuel took the paper and unfolded it. It was an advertisement. The wording stretched across the top of the flyer said, Millions of acres open for settlement. Below the words was a sketch of uninhabited grassland dotted with trees and a stream. To one side was an Indian on a horse who appeared to be galloping toward the sunset. Below the sketch were the words, Land! Opportunity! Adventure! At the very bottom it read, The New State of Minnesota. What's this about? What's Minnesota? Samuel said, raising his eyes to his new acquaintance. The frontier, my friend, McPherson said. The dream of every adventurous American. Land for the taking. To start over. To run away. Wealth. Opportunity. Whatever you can imagine. It's real. What happened in the past is still real for us to today, and there's still a lot of healing that needs to be done. There's still a lot of reconciliation that needs to be done, and more importantly, a lot of rebuilding. And that's what I want to do with the Reclaiming Minnesota Indigenous Writers Grant. And welcome to History Through Fiction, the podcast. I'm your host, Colin Mustful, and today we have a very special episode guest hosted by Stephanie Lansom. She'll be interviewing me, Colin Mustful, about my novel, Reclaiming Minnesota. Everything actually surprises me, and I'm surprised that I'm still surprised. <laughs> Stephanie Lansom writes about women in history for women who love history. Stephanie has traveled on four continents and dozens of countries. When she can't travel, she reads fiction and history and dreams of her next adventure, whether it be in person or on the pages of her novels. Her newest release, Codename Idlevice, is based on a true story. In 1933 Los Angeles, a Jewish lawyer and his band of amateur spies foil Hitler's plan to take over Hollywood. You can find out more about Stephanie and her books at stephanielansom.com. Today she'll be interviewing me, Colin Mustful, about my novel, Reclaiming Minnesota. So tell us a little bit about yourself, maybe your previous books, and how they led you to this journey of this current novel. Well, it's been a long journey, and I'm not sure I can articulate it in just a few minutes, but I'll try. Uh, I went to college in Mankato, where 38 Dakota men were hanged on December 26, 1862, and I did not know about this tragic event until I came across a statue of a buffalo in downtown Mankato that commemorates this tragedy, and this was the first time I had heard of it when I was in graduate school, so this is already having gone through K-12 through and gone through my bachelor's degree 
I was kind of shocked to find out that right where I was living and attending school, that the largest simultaneous mass execution in U.S. history had occurred right there where I lived. So I wanted to know why. I wanted to know what happened. And the hanging was done in the aftermath of what's called nowadays the U.S.-Dakota War of 1862. And following the hanging, all Dakota and Ho-Chunk people were exiled from the state of Minnesota by law forever. And that's that's a that's a big part of, of history. And that's why I started to study the history. And I started by writing some historical essays um, around those events. And I wanted to be able to reach a wider audience because I, 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 I understood that I wasn't the only Minnesotan that wasn't aware of this history. And so I wanted to bring it recognition and help other people to acknowledge and understand the history. So I decided to do that through fiction because there's a lot of power in storytelling and I wanted to harness that power in order to help people relate with the the historical actors that were involved in these events. But then through the process, I learned that that's, that's pretty complicated. There's a lot to being an author. There's a lot to um, the elements, the craft elements of fiction. And, and so I, you know, I wrote a novel and then I wrote another novel. The second novel was about the Spirit Lake Massacre a few years before the U.S. Dakota War. And then my third novel was about the treaties of Traverse to Sioux and Mendota in 1851, that that as a result of those treaties that led to a lot of the animosity and th- that that would lead to the U.S.-Dakota War and the retaliation of a group of Dakota. Um, so I was I was learning all throughout this process about the history, about how it happened and why it happened. But the, but I was also learning about what it means to be an author and to get your work out there and to find your audience and to tell a good story that people are engaged in. And eventually I went back to school for my MFA in creative writing to learn about the science of storytelling. And and that really helped me a lot. That really pushed me forward. Um, I published my fourth novel, Resisting Removal, in 2019. And that's actually about the Ojibwe uh, because 400 Ojibwe were killed at Sandy Lake, uh, Minnesota in 1850 because of the negligence of the U.S. government and really the same people that were involved in the U.S.-Dakota War. Mm-hmm. Um, and so finally, I, everything kind of comes back around with this newest novel, Reclaiming Minnesota, in which I, I, I really lean on my knowledge now of fiction and storytelling in order to create some really deep, engaging, fully rounded characters that people can kind of relate to and try to see the history, not from the historical perspective that, uh, that I've relied on so far, you know, in my previous books and more on the emotional truths involved in this history and to paint a new picture that really shows how, how the perspectives of everyone involved at that time and, and to show how that history has created a legacy that continues to today. Yeah. Well, I think you really accomplished what you set out to do um, because you did have this um, this great um, backstory, the, the rich backstory that you that you created for these two main characters just inspires so much empathy for both sides of the story. I mean, it's it's a tragic event and there's no getting around 
the mistreatment of the native people um, all through that history and that long building up. It's a very complicated, you know, obviously, but you kind of break through that complication by showing us what these two characters went through um, and how their lives were affected by the historical events, by the government, um, and just engage the empathy of the reader so well that um, you don't even, it doesn't even feel like you're reading a complicated historical, um, you know, explanation. So, you know, congratulations. That was fantastic. Um, I loved your two characters, Wabi, the young Ojibwe man, um, and Samuel, a white settler from Vermont who comes in with his family and wants to settle in Minnesota. Um, and so I was wondering, I mean, I know it's so complicated to write history, um, really from any perspective, but you're not a native um, yourself. Um, so did you have any qualms about writing from the perspective of a Native American of Wabi when you um, got started on this and how did you go about researching for his point of view? Well, I wouldn't necessarily call them qualms. I, I definitely took great care. Um, I, 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 at this point, I'm able to kind of understand and acknowledge my role in what's generally called cultural appropriation and also the perpetuation of false narratives or misrepresentations of people that are from a different culture than than your own. And I know that I can't get it fully 100% right, not having experienced some of those traditions and cultures and religions. And so I just did the best I could, like any historical author does, to learn about a time and a place and a people that they've never been to and haven't had experience with. I do rely a lot on the works of indigenous authors um, like Thomas Peacock and Marlene Wissouri, Brenda Child, Anton Troyer, um, David Troyer, and Louise Erdrich. And um, I actually relied on, on a white author uh, who wrote a book called Chippewa Customs, and she lived among the Ojibwe people, Frances Densmore, um, for many, many years. And, and she talked with them and interviewed them and wrote down a lot of their traditions and customs. And, and I relied on that. And then I did hire a sensitivity reader, uh, Michael Loso, who happened to go to high school with me. I think he graduated a year after, so we didn't know each other at the time, but he read and enjoyed my novel Resisting Removal and reached out to me about it. And I said, well, hey, I have this next novel coming up and then I'd really like to get some feedback because this is the first time I have written from the perspective of a native character, and and it has a lot of Ojibwe language in there. So Michael was able to offer a lot of um, helpful information to um, help me with the dialect of, of Ojibwe language that I was using and help me to um, round out some of the traditional customs and about the Ojibwe culture that I was writing about that I didn't get quite right. So I did the best I could with all those things. Um, but like with any book, any novel that uh, that a reader comes to, you have to read it with 
critical thinking, thinking skills, understanding who the author is, where they're coming from, what might have influenced their background and their argument. And so I invite readers to not just take my word for it, but to read what I have and then to add it to their their knowledge base and to seek out other sources on the U.S. Dakota War and on the Ojibwe people and their experience during that time and the Dakota people and their experience during that time. And I don't try to make any demands on the reader. I just put it out there and I include um, a long author's note about my background and my um, motivations and my expectations and all those sorts of things. And I also include a list of sources and recommended sources. And I'm, I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm doing the, the, the very best I can with my own experience and background. And I hope the reader will be uh, forgiving in that way. Oh, well, I, I mean, I think that you really accomplished that task because um, as I read it, I wanted very much to do some more research and look into it um, some more because of the way you did present it, very balanced, um, not not with an agenda of any sort, but just really saying, you know, here is are some some things to think about and how it really affected um, the lives of these characters in particular. So I love the way that you you managed to do that. Um, how I, I should. I should add that, you know, I, I have made my own mistakes in my interpretation and um, I all that adds to uh, what I'm able to offer now is is just having written numerous novels and having done uh, so much research. You can look back at my writings from a decade, a decade and a half ago and see how it's how it's changed. And then I also relied on just a lot of people to look at what I've written and offer suggestions and all those experiences go into um, just trying to offer my perspective as as best I can. Yeah, yeah, and I, I mean, I do applaud you because it's often, as an author myself, it's easy to kind of get wrapped up in our own words and want to present a story in a, the way that we want to. But reaching out to other authors, um, to sensitivity readers, to other historians who have different perspectives is a huge part of writing a good novel. And um, it takes humility to hear from other people and maybe get some criti- critical you know, thoughts on your novel. But um, in the end, I think it really makes it so much better to have those other perspectives and to be willing to ask for them. Yeah. So, so yeah, I loved Wabi. I loved reading um, each of his parts of the novel, just partly just because I, I'm not aware of how, um, of how the Ojibwe lived. And so it was, it was great to, for me to learn that. Um, and how about Samuel? I loved him too. Very, um, well-written, rich backstory. Um, I was very empathetic towards his plight and, and could see like how he, how he viewed things from this perspective of manifest destiny and, um, you know, a white settler moving into what he considered free country. Um, how did you go about developing his character um, and making him so relatable? Well, Samuel was the first character to come into my mind when I, I came up with the idea for the story. And 
he is is as as fictional as it gets i guess i didn't base him on any historical people which is pretty unusual for me um and then what i did write about him first of all i i lived in londonderry vermont where he's from uh for a few months and so that was my inspiration for that and and a lot of people from vermont did move move out west um during the mid 19th century and then i relied on a lot of what what would be called pioneer stories in a book called old rail fence corners it's just a a, a long um personal like first person narratives of people that that uh, gave up everything and and came out west came to minnesota and tried to make a new life for themselves during the 1850s and and i read all those those stories and got a lot of inspiration for things that happened in the novel. A lot of Samuel's background was also influenced by actually the the suggestions or recommendations of my mentors in my MFA program because I was having some trouble creating believable characters within the, the story that I had started to write during my MFA program. And one of my mentors had had recommended just writing a bunch of background scenes of Samuel and his family and what they went through living in Vermont. And when I wrote those scenes, none of them, I never intended any of them to be in the story. I just wrote them so that I could get to know Samuel and his brothers and sisters and his mother and father. And then later um, I was able to revise some of those scenes and then put them into the story. But it was really just an exercise in character background um, that, was able to find its way in into the novel that I, I didn't know it would happen that way. Um, yeah, that's, that's fascinating. Actually. I love, I love to hear about that process. Um, because as a writer, sometimes we do kind of get stuck with, a, with like trying to round out our character and doing those short little scenes of his life. Um, not only helps you get to know him, but I think they added a lot to, to the story. So that was, that was good. That was good advice. Um, so I love this, this question. Sometimes I ask it of when I interview authors and it's kind of a fun, um, question to answer, but did you find anything surprising or unexpected in your historical research as you were working on this book that either did or didn't make it, um, into the, into the novel itself? Well, the fact is that as long as I've been doing research about this time period in this uh, region, everything actually surprises me, and I'm surprised that I'm still surprised <laughs> by some just some of the shocking and horrible things that were done really in the name of capitalism, in the name of industry, in the name of manifest destiny, that happens not just in Minnesota, not just in the Midwest, but throughout the country, throughout the Western Hemisphere. All that just continually surprises me. And like I said, when I did my research for the Sandy Lake tragedy, is the same names that were popping up after I had already written three novels about the U.S. Dakota War. It was the same politicians, the same um, businessmen that were involved in the treaty system that were involved in the liquor trafficking and, and all the the depredations that would eventually, um, you know, w- led to a cultural genocide of of Dakota peoples, of Native peoples in the region, 
And, and I, I'm just continually shocked and, and saddened by those things that I come across in my research. And that's one of the reasons I continue to do the research, because I just I'm trying to understand how that was possible, if we've changed um, what we can learn from that and how we can do better in the future. As far as specifically for reclaiming Minnesota, there, there wasn't a whole lot of new information that I had to take in. Uh, because of all the research I had already done, a, a, a lot of the information about the U.S. Dakota War I had already known and just have stored in my my memory. Um, but there, I did have to learn a lot about Native culture and traditions. Um, I did have to learn a lot about Native language, and um, all those things were definitely new to me and kind of insightful too to to learn about the the way of life that traditional way of life that that um unfortunately was i guess overlooked at the time hey listeners this is colin mustful and i just wanted to take a quick break to share another short excerpt from my novel reclaiming minnesota we are merciful, Vagonagizig said, unlike your leaders who stole and cheated and killed, taking away our lives and our culture, forcing us to remove from our homelands, stripping us of our language, crippling us with disease and drink. What does the bear do when you threaten her cubs? What do the wolves do when they are hungry? We are not like the bear or the wolf or the white man. We merely take back what is ours. We merely ask for a place at the council. Not a high place, nor a low place, only equal footing, a puff of the peace pipe, not the whole pipe and all it controls. But like the bear or the wolf, we too have fangs, and we do not shy away when mistreated. We will not hide when we are hungry. And so you see us today, standing atop the sacred Bedote, a place taken from the Dakota several generations ago, the place from where all living things flow. Now we watch over it in your fort. We protect it with our traditions. We have won back what was lost, and we do not intend to return it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think a lot. I think that it's a real tragedy that we do not know more about this as the general public. I mean, not just us as history researchers or authors or historians, but why do you think it is that this was such a surprise to you living in Mankato um, for years and me living here in Minnesota, even with, I mean, my husband is part of the um, Chippewa Subturtle Mountain, and yet none of us are very well very well versed in our native history why is it you think that we're that we aren't taught what happened is it the shamefulness of it or do people just not want to know about it i'm not really sure um my i did my master's thesis about the pampas indians in argentina and they were essentially wiped out through something called the conquest of the desert. And it was a, it was a 50 year period of racist I ideology that dehumanized the pompous Indians and eventually convinced the public that it was okay to send in the army and, and, 
and destroy them all. And that ideology isn't much different than the ideology we had here in the United States. And I think it's just, you know, it's just too comfortable right now. We, we, we've gained as a nation, most, many of us have gained so much and now live in such a free and wealthy society. I think it's, it's just too easy, um, to accept it as it is and not want to confront and interrogate why things are the way they are. I think we're obviously doing a much better job at doing that than we had in the past. But it, you know, it took centuries to get us to this point. I think it'll take a long time to get us to, to, you know, get past that point where we come to understand who we are and why we do what we do and how we can make a more just, equal a society for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think you're really right about that. Um, but let's hope that let's hope that these books and um, you know what's going on now can really head us in that direction a little more quickly. And, and, yeah, ultimately, I I I don't want to provide any, I'm not suggesting that I have any answers. In fact, that's part of my writing journey. As much as I want to share these stories with people, I'm just trying to acknowledge it. I'm just trying to understand it myself and know my role in the whole grand scheme of things and how I can contribute to breaking down those legacies and reversing those legacies and, and, and just, just, um, enlightening myself so that I can do better and be better. Yeah. I think you're very clear about that in the novel, not only in your author notes, um, which I appreciate because they're at the beginning of the book, which I think helps a lot, um, in setting that up for you. But, um, also, um, just the story itself, you're very, it's very clear that, um, that you're trying to just lay it out and understand what was going on um, in this, you know, between these two, two men, especially, but just in the whole situation and how um, basically messed up it was. Um, If if there's an antagonist in your story, it's, it's the people of the government, it's government red tape, it's um, ignorance. um, It's all of those things that we're still dealing with now. So, so very well done. Um, is there anything else about your research that you'd like your readers to know as they begin to read Reclaiming Minnesota? No, I think you can go into it without any knowledge of, of the history. Obviously, I have three other novels related to the U.S.-Dakota War and then one novel related to the Sandy Lake tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you can kind of go in with a, a blank slate Um and, and I think that's probably the best way to do it, you, you know, whether you do have knowledge of this history or not, to kind of go in without any judgments, without ready, don't, you know, without wanting to judge anyone and just take the story in. And then, like I said earlier, whatever you're curious about, there's information for you, for you to find. So whatever strikes you in the novel about the Ojibwe, about the settler colonialists, about the treaty system and reservation system and capitalism and all those things that become apparent throughout the story or 
even about the relationship between the Dakota and the Ojibwe, which was a long-standing relationship that, that also developed over time between two separate nations. There's plenty of resources out there available, and so I would just go into the novel without any real expectations and just see what inspires you. Good. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way to say that. And also, um, I mean, just to reiterate, it's just a great novel. I mean, the, the, the beauty of historical fiction is that you can read it um, as, you know, a way to learn, but you can also read it just for pure enjoyment of you know, the characters and the unfolding of the story and the emotions um, and and wanting to know what happens in the end. So your book, this novel has all of those things. So great. Now I wanted to ask you a little bit about, if you don't mind telling us about what you have coming up with the Indigenous Writers Grant. Would you mind talking about that a little bit? No, I'd, I'd love to. So alongside the novel, I've created an Indigenous Writers Grant that I'm calling the Reclaiming Minnesota Indigenous Writers Grant. And my goal is to raise $10,000 to provide one Indigenous writer from Minnesota the funds necessary to pursue their own form of storytelling. And there's kind of a, a long story behind this, but it has to do with my journey of first acknowledging the history, then coming to understand the history, then coming to understand the legacy of that history, and my my desire to do something actionable to help reverse that legacy. And a part of that is providing resources that empower Indigenous storytellers to provide their own viewpoint and perspectives on the past. Because if you look at the historiography of the U.S.-Dakota War of 1862, it is dominated by white Western viewpoints, which aren't necessarily wrong. Those are the viewpoints that I was educated on, and that's the viewpoint that I come from. But as well-meaning and well-intentioned as me or any historian out there might be, Um, Someone like William Watts Falwell, for instance, does such a fabulous job in a history of Minnesota, um, giving us the facts behind the U.S.-Dakota War. We're we're always going to be influenced by our own ethnocentrisms and our own backgrounds. Mine as a, a white Christian growing up in a suburban white society like that's not a negative thing, but it just should be acknowledged that that I can't separate myself from that perspective. And so that's why I think it's incredibly valuable to ensure that this history, that all of our histories is brought into a much wider perspective of voices who may have a different take on things, who may not rely on the same dry documentation and the same methods of academic historians to paint a much more colorful, much broader picture of historical events that, and that helps everybody. That helps everyone, not just to understand the history, but to come to um, an understanding to, to today that, that creates a more equal, just society where everyone can flourish. And and I should add here that the legacy of, of our history, you know, it, 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 
it's a continuous line from the past to today that's that's influenced everything in who we are and and, and what we do and there's still a lot of grief there's still a lot of loss you know when i go to make speaking engagements i might get um some criticism from one side of the conflict and then i might get a different perspective from uh, uh the other side of the conflict of of so what i'm trying to say is that it's real what happened in the past is still real for us to today and there's still a lot of healing that needs to be done there's still a lot of reconciliation that needs to be done and more importantly a lot of rebuilding and that's what i want to do with the reclaiming minnesota indigenous writers grant is rebuild from what's been broken and torn down and uh, widen our our historical perspective so that it's available to everyone and that it's provided by everyone. Yes, I think that's very admirable and a great way to, you know, maybe just get, do your own little part in starting and and helping move towards healing. and move towards some kind of acknowledgement and reconciliation. Um, so that's great. How can we, how can we help with the with the Indigenous Writers Grant? Well, there are numerous ways. So first of all, every I'm donating one dollar from the sale of every copy of Reclaiming Minnesota to the Reclaiming Minnesota Indigenous Writers Grant, and it doesn't matter where you buy it through any distribution channels. I will don't. I'm going to be donating a dollar. I'm also donating all membership fees to our member area on historythroughfiction.com. So we haven't talked about this, but I am the founder and editor of a small press called History Through Fiction, who's also the publisher of the novel. And we publish short stories. It's $5 for a membership, lifetime membership to read those short stories. And all new members, that membership fee is going straight to the grant. Um, additionally, I'm donating all speaking fees to the grant. So if you want me to come speak to your school, your church, your museum, your library, wherever, uh, your organization might be, I will come and speak at no charge, no fee, uh, and whatever you can donate to, to me that would have been a speaking fee, uh, can go straight to the grant. And then finally, uh, we are accepting donations through a GoFundMe page. The link is kind of complicated, um, but if you go to historythroughfiction.com and go to our About tab, you'll see Indigenous Writers Grant. If you go to colinmustville.com, my author website, um, the, that front landing page, you just scroll down and you'll find a link to the GoFundMe page there. Additionally, I'm also planning a silent auction and live fundraiser in October and November, and I'll have more information about that. Well, let's see if we're public. If this is going up uh, Monday, October 9th, all that will start tomorrow on the 10th. The silent auction starts tomorrow when the book is published, and the live fundraiser will be November 3rd and 4th. I'll be on a Zoom for 24 hours. I have about 30 different guests that are coming on, mostly authors, some editors, and um, we'll be telling people about the grant and asking for donations. Great. Oh, it sounds like a very ambitious project, and I hope that it goes really well, and I'm very hopeful that it will. Um, That's awesome. So is there anything else that you want your readers to take away from this novel and tell us 
how we can buy it and where we can find it. a few of those places that you already said, but where we can specifically find more information on reclaiming Minnesota. Well, the message is hopefully one of empathy. Um, I, in writing this novel, I don't want to, it's not that people, everyone is blameless, but I'm not trying to put blame. I'm not trying to make any accusations about anyone, whether they be a settler colonialist or a native Dakota or Ojibwe or even a government official. I'm just, like you said, I'm just trying to lay it out there. And I want, what I really want is to illuminate the wrongs that were done to the native people by having those same wrongs done to the white settler colonial population, which can be a very stark contrast, but it's not my intention to show the the whites as wrong or hateful or anything like that. It's just to try and make it a little bit more relatable so that you can get a new view on the history and say, wow, well, this this really was pretty awful. And and I write that in my author's note. I say, you know, what if this happened to my family? What if my family was killed? What if my family was exiled? And when you read the novel, you'll see that Samuel and his family face a lot of really, really um, horrible tragedies. And it was hard to even to write because it's like, well, this doesn't seem plausible that this uh, all these bad things could befall one family. But that's what happened to the Dakota people, as unfortunate as that is. And so that's what I want people to really think about um, is what, what if this happened to me? What if this happened to my family? How would I feel about it now? As far as getting the novel, um, you can get it wherever books are sold online. Um, I don't have exact locations as far as bookstores right now, but it will be carried in various bookstores, certainly in Minnesota. Uh, and then the, the best way is to order it through my website. Um, you can get a signed copy if you go to historythroughfiction.com slash store, um, or if you go to colinmustful.com and there's a, on top, there's a tab for reclaiming Minnesota. And I'd be very happy to sign a copy and send it off to you in the mail. Great. Well, I think you truly succeeded in what you set out to do. Um, as a reader of the novel, I, I definitely took that message away, um, and with that final page, and I would wholeheartedly recommend um, Reclaiming Minnesota for anyone who loves to read historical fiction, anyone who's interested in this conflict and wants a, a well-laid-out and, um, and empathetic, well-researched, and meaningful um, look at this part of our history. So thanks so much for writing it, Colin. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you for taking an interest in it. And thank you for uh, coming on the podcast and interviewing me about my novel. I'm glad to.
Um, uh, Stephanie, I'm gonna. I, I lost my train of thought, so I'm gonna just add something right right at, to that previous one, and and I can I'll edit it up so that it it flows right through. So I'll, I'm just gonna talk, and then I'll tell you when I'm done, and then. <laughs> um, <laughs>